This week's guest is Ruby Hammer, MBE, celebrated makeup artist, ambassador of the British Beauty Council and founder of Ruby Hammer Beauty. She was the Ruby out of Ruby and Millie. Do you remember the Boots Own brand that we used to love and was the makeup artist for the programme The Clothes Show? Three decades in the industry and the thing that I'm struck with that moved me to tears was Ruby's passion and just light and love for what she does. But also, I would say the younger her who had these posters on her wall of makeup artists and then the journey that she travelled almost with this young spirit bursting out of her at any point in time and at 62 to be still within the industry as a makeup artist with her new business. It just goes to show you that you can live a life doing what you love, earning a living, touching souls all over the world and leave a legacy. Spend the whole of your life doing what you love. And this conversation, I've just personally taken so much away from it. But the number one thing I've taken away is that when I looked at this 62-year-old woman, I saw her little younger self still within her, burning in her, twinkle in her eye. And it's just, I'm never going to forget that. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown Hi, I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to my podcast Conversations of Inspiration I founded my first business, Not on the High Street, at 28 with a newborn strapped to my chest Nearly 20 years on, he's all grown up and I'm running my second business, Holly & Co., I've learned so much about taking risks, running a business and some extraordinary life lessons along the way. And I know others have too. Yet despite the wealth of experience we have between us, lessons like this are often left unheard and it can feel like we're travelling our paths alone. So I've reached out to founders and those who simply inspire me to share their hard-earned wisdom with you. My hope is that collectively, these remarkable realisations will help you on your own journey. I like to think of it as inspiration for life. If you enjoy this episode, might I ask you to share it with a friend and to like, subscribe and review it so that together we can ignite people's passion across the UK. Now, let's begin this week's Conversation of Inspiration. Hi, Ruby. It's such a pleasure to be talking to you today. I am a lifelong fan and you're now on Conversations of Inspiration. We've made our technology work. We've had a few technical issues, but welcome. Thank you very much, Holly. I'm super excited to be on here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. well, it's brilliant. I mean, everyone listening will know who you are because you're phenomenally successful, most celebrated makeup artist, working with everyone from Kate Moss to Cindy Crawford. And I've known you all my sort of adult life because you were <laughs> trailblazing with Ruby and Millie, which was the first makeup brand to embrace diversity. And of course, now you have the incredible products at Ruby Hammer Beauty. And it's quite incredible. No one can see this, but I'm looking at you and I have to, I mean, the fact we're wearing the same coloured tops today, but I have to pinch myself that you are 62 years old. And I am now, can't hide. Well, That's the fact. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for anyone listening, Ruby looks about 20 years younger oh. and I know Bless you're someone, you, well, you're someone that embraces this positive side of ageing. And I saw in a recent Instagram post, you spoke about being age positive and that you believe beauty evolves and deepens over time. T- tell me about what your thoughts are around ageing. Well, I just feel, look, we're born and as a human being or every species on this planet, and we're going to pass away. So we just don't know when. So when that's a fact, the more years you live, it's a joy, isn't it? It's yes. no one can bypass yeah. that process. Some yeah. die too young, some die with disease, some die with whatever that is. But at the end of the day, we've got to be grateful for every single day we're alive and not mm. waste 
any of that. And I'm not sounding like a saint because I waste things and I've done things before. But now, at 62, if you put your, say I live to, or say one lives to 80, yeah, big chunk of my life has passed, hasn't it? I've only got mm. a smaller chunk. Even if I have another 20 years, it's... Every it's a smaller day a part of it. Yeah, it's a smaller part. So I don't dwell on this, oh, my God, this is changing, that is changing. Everything changes in nature. Everything mm. changes. Even now we're chatting. Two seconds ago, will we ever have that again? Never. Mm. Not in my lifetime. Those two seconds are gone. So we need to make the next two seconds and those ones better and going. So I don't dwell on all of that. And yes, I'm human. So yes, the skin does change. Things change with the aging process, mm. but all of it is not negative. No, not negative. And when I was reading your post, you were talking about this, you know, it's anti this and it's anti that, and it's quite a negative outlook. And I couldn't agree with your outlook more. I think we are as women though, you can't help but... I think the burden is heavier on women because yeah. we don't do that to men. Yes, we do say, oh, Brad Pitt looks 60, doesn't he look great for his age or whatever. But yeah. overwhelmingly, whether it's normal women or whether they're red carpet, whether they're television stars, TV stars, pop stars, whatever they are, women on the, I don't know the word, you know, where they're visually in front mm -hmm. of everyone, that underlined bit of how good do you look for mm -hmm. your age or how good do you look period that mm. pressure is always on women and has mm. been and you mm. know what we're in 2024 are we still going to do this rubbish always looking at oh she looks great for this or she looks great for that give us a break give every human being we're all human everyone ages differently everything is like that but like yeah I surely you don't need to put that burden on anyone just release that if we drop that we're helping all of us aren't yeah, we completely and I know this is quite personal for you because when looking at your journey I read that you sadly lost your beloved mum in 2012 and that was a period of time and the grief you experienced kicked off menopause and you're very open in talking about it and I do think that as older women this time of life which can involve losing a parent, children flying the nest, the menopause, working full time. It's a lot to go through. And yet conversations, as we know, have really opened up in the last few years. Do you think that we're starting to see this sort of shift in conversation and the narrative? Like you were just saying, I want this to change. Definitely. But do you think that you think we started a positive shift in, in how we talk about it? I just think we're at the beginning end of it is no longer taboo the fact that we're talking about it would that have happened five years ago no I don't no, think so no, no not at all so the fact that you've got people like Davina McCall or Lisa Snowden or whatever on TV the fact that someone like Boots No 7 Clarins the brand have products and brands and targeted to this age group or yep. this market and issues that we may have with it whether it's sleeping joints panic attacks, our mental, physical well-being, hormonal. Everyone talks about it. And I really mm. welcome that mm. because mm. that is like the same as like if we were in the suffragette movement now, it would be like getting the vote. So you know what? Yeah. But well, I do have a but. The thing I don't like about this is that then it gets to post 45-year-old women all we're meant to talk about is the menopause and oh my joints hurt and I've got a hot flush and I've got night sweats and and like we're all Debbie Downers walking along dragging our heels and woe is me and oh no, I'm invisible and oh I've got this, oh, I've got that and it just sounds like and I feel like saying it's a phase and a chapter in a biological woman's life you know we have mm. it from our adolescence mm. and then you have your childbearing years and now it's at the tail end of your fertility not the end of bloody life I've still yes. got a personality I haven't suddenly become a cabbage or a potato that's a lump that should be slammed back there and talk about me as though I don't exist and my personality mm. doesn't exist and I've just become a dingy grey colour no we still yes. have it. Yes, we're ongoing and everyone's menopause is different. So some have it, different symptoms, different things, but it's good to be open. It's good to address it. It's good to deal with it. But that isn't the be all and end all of 
that defining thing of post 45, that's all you're going to be, some yeah. menopausal sad case. <laughs> that does annoy me, Holly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a lovely thing that we're all talking about. There's less and less stigma, although we're not quite there yet. No, definitely not. But absolutely, we do need to look at it, as you said, as chapters. And I was reading something the other week where someone was talking about, as you said, it's it's a moment in your physicality that, you know, that's actually just changing internally. Only everything's changing but actually that your body gets to now concentrate on not being fertile, which actually is a, a female, your anatomy and, and what your whole body is yeah. doing. It spends its whole life after having your period. I even prefer that word adjustment. Yes. We're adjusting, yes. aren't we? Because nothing is all the same. It's a period of adjustment and yeah. adjustment or transition or whatever lovely words you want to say, Holly. Absolutely. And it is this moment where maybe your body, yes, it can be very painful going through that stage for some people. But ultimately, post that stage, once you've finished the menopause, your body only almost has you to now concentrate on. And I thought, gosh, that's a very interesting way. I haven't heard that being spoken about. And as you said, it's actually because we we do hear quite a bit of what the media will pick up, which is more of the negative side. I mean, 40s, 50s, 60s, this is where, you know, we can flourish, where we can start to burn again. We, we've maybe had our children fly the nest. We've reached that other point, the other side. And it can be something beautiful, beautiful. It's very liberating. It should be very liberating because at 60 or post 50 onward, if you have no idea who the hell you are, what your opinions are, what you like, whether what sort of person are you and you've been 50 yeah. years on this planet, it's quite sad really, isn't it? So yeah. at this moment, we've still got buckets to learn and finesse and explore. I'm not saying it's the end of life, but it's still exciting. I've still got loads to learn. But from knowing this is who I am, do you know what? Yeah. I love doing this. I'm going to do more of this. Find more yeah. time to do yeah. a bit of that. Yeah. And not taking it away from anybody, but finding, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if it's just done that you've got your two feet in the grave, yeah. it's no. not a good picture. Not, not at it all. It means there's no joy to be had anymore and there's plenty of joy to and be I had. mean the women I know over 40 50 60 I mean they're a force of nature absolutely well, let's go, go back to your childhood here now <laughs> I want to go back to the little very little Ruby you were born in Nigeria and yes. you lived with your Bangladeshi parents and your brothers and your late father was a doctor and I read yes. that your very early childhood was spent climbing trees and riding bikes and that you had the sweetest nickname tell me what that is <laughs> my nickname because I did look like that I was all really thin really dark and I had straggly hair with cuts on my elbows and knees always so I was a tomboy and my nickname was Mowgli from the Jungle Book because that's how I looked I looked like I could be a boy or a girl I didn't have you know I was yeah. that sort of dark, ooh, shaggy head like that and yeah it was that was my nickname because I had like I was like a bundle of energy going here, there, here, there, here, there. We should have a siesta. And I never did have a siesta. I'd just watch like, is mum gone to sleep yet? Yeah. And then I'd just jump on my bike and off I'd go. Oh, and then I love she'd it. say, How are you going to be restful and re-energize? And <laughs> was it a happy childhood? It was an incredible childhood because I say to everyone, look, I am of Asian background. But my childhood, from the minute I was born in 1961 to when we left 1973, was in Africa, the continent mm. Africa, with nature, with surrounded by people of colour. But I spoke Bengali, which is my mother tongue at home. At school, Nigeria had just been given their independence, so it was still official language, was still English. So we, we were caned if you didn't speak mm. in English. And Gosh. then the local dialect there, because Nigeria is a huge country, lots of regional languages, that part of northern Nigeria, the dialect is called Hausa. To this day, I still speak Hausa. I used to speak it with my mum because it was a wonderful diplomatic code of, you know, yeah, communicating. But I don't have anyone to speak that with because my father passed away. My brother's 
left they can't remember they never kept it but me and my mum did you did and so three languages just like that and I just say I was raised in the continent of Africa I am of Asian background so I think my emotions and things I feel in my heart are Asian Mm. I come to the UK which is the western world at the age of 12 which is very formative years your education Mm. picks up in a different way books you read you know you're actually being formally educated now so all of that my intellect is probably western and then Mm. as a makeup artist I have traveled the globe you know I was lucky enough to go to all corners of the world so I am now a proper global citizen but you cannot imagine the freedom in my head and how I was reared in Africa. You can't, Gosh. can't imagine. And then at six or seven, a civil war broke out in Nigeria. Yes. And that must have been incredibly scary because you were six or seven and your parents were very fearful. What memories do you have of that time? Because I read that there was a trench outside your home. Yeah. So it wasn't that they were fearful, but it was fearful for expatriates. We were expatriates there mm-hmm. and it's a country at war. But Nigeria was huge and we were at the northern part of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And most of this atrocities and the battle and the fight happened further down south. So near Ibo and Yoruba speaking languages, but it was between the north and the that Mm. so it was adults saw it more we just felt their tension so it's not like I saw fighting or that I just felt I could feel the tension from dad and whatever and then one day ministry of works comes in and then builds this trench for us and they say if there's any bombing or whatever this is where you should go and then there will be arrangements made for you to be evacuated never came to that that six foot trench became a playground you know to go there and find little scorpions and feed (laughs) little heebie-jeebie crawlies scare the younger ones where we'd hide you know it, it became so as a child it was an adventure playground playground but underlining yeah. it all you could feel the tension of the adults yeah. yeah and then when I later on studied history and read the books now of the novelists that have come out there all of that I can make the connection yes that this is what they were going through I, I was spared seeing it but I felt it yeah I mean you, you said that after this I mean very young to have even gone through that even understanding what could have been happening you mentioned you came back to the UK and you were 12 and your family emigrated to London but well, we were on holiday here yeah you went to Putney is that right we didn't become immigrants like that the reason we stayed in the UK is this is the second civil war I've seen so we had left Nigeria we were on vacation and Next minute, you open the news or BBC, whatever, because Bangladesh was known as East Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Civil war had started between East and West Pakistan. So my father didn't have a job in Africa anymore. He's not going to take his family to a war zone, is he? So we Mm. were here for months on end. Eventually, this war wasn't going to end. So we, he found a job, he bought a house in Putney, put us in school. And every year we'd have to go to Croydon and get our papers stamped. Not a citizen has been allowed residentship to be allowed to stay here. Mm. And he wasn't a drain. You know, we weren't on the dole. He'd bought a house. He put money into this country. Mm. Mm. He got a job, paid his taxes. We went to school. So eventually when you get to the age of sort of you're doing your O-levels and you're 16 and 17, 18, this became home. And this is where 49 years later, this is my adoptive country. This is my, I'm British national. This is my home. And tell me what, so there you were, you were studying economics at university. What made you fascinated with makeup? Because on this podcast, (laughs) you would have maybe have heard that there's this We can always sort of get to the strand, the golden thread that's sort of woven through people's lives. And I'm wondering where that thread starts with you. That thread starts with my mum, because my mum, when she had me, was 17. So she's Mm -hmm. a young woman and we're in Africa. We'd have to wait 
a month to get all the magazines and you could hear the guy delivering them like he could hear his bicycle bell ding 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 and we'd be like oh yeah so her <laughs> my, our comic books would arrive the Beano the Jackie Archie Richie you know all this and her magazines would come and then you'd flip through them what were the magazines can you remember oh I can't remember what uh, you know whatever the big magazines were at that time yeah. in the 60s yeah. that would come she had those and she would try those makeup on like you you know mm. she had a wig stand she had short hair long hair full eyelashes this makeup that makeup and I would watch because my mum was a housewife and she in the areas that we were posted some were not even proper stoves there were those fire thingy mm-hmm. you'd have to throw wood into the fire to cook and she became a very good cook but from you get all sweaty and sooty and then she'd go and have a shower and get ready and made up and to me she looked like a Bollywood star that we used to Mm. watch every night because we had no telly growing up we'd just have open air Bollywood movies or Charlie Chaplin or Abbott and Costello or whatever Mm -hmm. we'd watch but when I saw her transform like there's mum all day and there's a cocktail party they're going to or Mm. she's hosting one at home a big dinner state dinner this Mm -hmm. or that and I'd look up and I'd go the way my mum smelled the way she looked and I'd think She's like a Bollywood star. And that power of transformation yes. from makeup and hair. And then flick through magazines and go, oh, wow, mum's like that. She's still our yeah. mum, but she became yes. another persona. Something more, another that persona, That love was yes. in there with me. That's the thread. That's where it started. And it's funny because I think I'm right in saying that not too long after graduating, it was a twist of fate that started your makeup career. Tell me about that moment that you realised that you could actually build a career out of this thing, this magic that your mum did. Well, even when I was 16, I had a Saturday job and it was at Harrods. And it was only so that I could use the discount card to buy makeup. And there was, you've got to think in that time, there's Bieber, Stage Light, Miners, you know, and yeah. the magazines. So I got a discount and I could spend every bit of it. And then I'd be like, Dad, um, I haven't got any money. <laughs> Give me my tube fare. And he goes, but your, your salary. And I said, I don't save any of it. I just need you to give me a return ticket. I go there and buy and I spend all of it on me. So all of that love has been nurtured along. Mm. And then when I graduated, it was the time where my mum used to run an Indian restaurant in Dean Street called the Red Fort. And it was just like, she said, well, look, do you, what are you going to do? Are you going to do, my dad thought I'd go and do my master's. And my mum said, if you're going to take a year out, you need to write your CVs or what are you going to do? So she said, just come and work here for six, from September to December, because we're very, very busy. And that was it. I wasn't a waitress. I was like a hostess. I'd take people's coats, answer the phone, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when I met George, who became my boyfriend, became my future husband. And he was best friends with a makeup artist, a lady called Francine Schiffer. And one day was all during fashion week and she'd come in for drinks with him and she was saying, oh God, all the shows are on, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you're really good with makeup, ask her, ask her. And I said, well, what am I supposed, I don't know what to say, I don't know. All she did then was through this, pass you know those accessible area passes and she said all right then and the shows used to be at the duke of york barracks tents oh right okay yeah yeah in chelsea yeah yeah so she said all right then ruby i'll see you at four and i think my face just blanched and i went 4 a.m and she said well the show is at 9 35 and we've got 30 models so when do you think you want to come and i was like okay i'll be there (gasps) mum gave me a lift and i assisted I fell into assisting and no formal game plan. But you know what? I obviously, growing up, when we would go to the discos or club, I was atrocious at doing my hair. So my friends would do my hair. I would do everyone's makeup. And mum used to feed us. And then we'd go clubbing and whatever, and my mum would pick us up. So that love is always Mm. there. On my walls was no pop stars. It was always models, and then at the bottom of the sheet where I could see who did the makeup and hair. And there was few at that time, but people like Way Brandy, you know, whoever the big makeup artists were of that time, the models, the photographers, 
that was what was on my wall. It's just fascinating hearing you speak. And I'm sure all the listeners are thinking the same because I'm talking to the listeners now, but we go back to so many people. I'm thinking of like Johnny Bowden. I'm thinking about, you know, he was a child and he would draw shoes. And (laughs) there's been so many examples of this where there you are. And it's obvious, you know, if we transported yourself back into your room when you were a child, what was going to happen? And it's almost as if, if we've got children right now who are doing what Ruby's doing for whatever it is, you know, potentially it really is what their future is going to be. It's not just a childhood dream. It's not just a phase. It's not just a, it's actually what their sort of, their soul that has yet to be put into a box, is actually expressing itself. And I love it. No, it is. And I've got to say, I always thought I was going to be a doctor and I was going to set up a clinic with my father, you know, and walk behind him with my arms behind like that. He'd walk ahead as a senior person and I'd be the junior person following along. But academically, when we were doing the O-levels, so I was always academic. I was never, I wasn't a rebel in that I wasn't good at my lessons. I have. I have 12, 13, 14 O-levels. I have three A-levels, S-level. I've got a BA honours in economics. I'm academic. I've studied because Mm. my father's thing was, you don't know how precious education is. Mm. So it doesn't matter what sphere, but you've got to be educated. And Mm. for him, that's it university level because mm-hmm. he they had to walk three miles one way three miles back they didn't have money it had to be paid for eventually even when he did his medical exams he had to sell his blood there was a neighbor that sent the gold from her sari to be able to take the exam and things mm. so he it was always put into us the value mm. of the right to vote and the right to education you must never ever poo-poo those and take those for granted Granted. because many parts of the world we're not able to be able to say what we feel we don't have the vote as women or race Mm -hmm. or this or Mm -hmm. that or whatever Mm -hmm. so I have that but that didn't ever if you studied you could indulge your passions my brothers were sports people they're not in makeup and all that they were every single my two brothers are younger than me everything Junior cricket, England this. My middle brother was a ball boy at Wimbledon and from then that he's going to be 61 next month. Love of tennis is in his Mm. blood. The other brother is an all-rounder, but he's probably the most commercial. So as long as you were studying, you could indulge your passion, your Mm. things. My my parents for being Asian were never, they're very broad-minded and visionary in that way. Well, they wouldn't have gone to Africa in their 60s. No, of course. And then they wouldn't have chosen to settle here. So they're adaptive. Yeah, the risk and also just curious and adventurous. And I think what's obvious there is that you were supported. Yes, you had these values as a family that you were going to adhere to, but you also were supported in your imagination and creativity. Now, this went on basically because we have just this window to get right into your sort of world. You became a wildly successful A-list model, actors, some of the biggest magazines, advertising campaigns, TV commercials, and of course, TV shows such as my beloved clothes show, Britain's <laughs> Next Top Model and 10 Years Younger, just to name a few. It must have been an incredibly excited time, that passion, you were young, you were going around the world. Just give me a, a little insight into that. But it was still, however young, you said all those words, but you've got to remember, I got married at 24 and by 25, mm. when I'm still assisting, I had a little girl. She's mm. now 37. Myrina's my pride and joy. So I was doing all that. Yes, I was young, but I still had a family. I still have my, mm. you know, my father yeah, the was responsibilities. Here, later on diagnosed with having Parkinson's. So you wear, as a woman, many hats. So yes. you're a mum, you're a wife, you're a, you know, I'm a daughter, Carer. a sister. Work. Mm. Then I, this particular avenue of work, took me abroad you're going if you're Mm. shooting on location it's not just studios in here and no I didn't have a game plan it just widened and then George was became a from a fashion rag trade entrepreneur to become a beauty entrepreneur yes influenced by me let's not kid ourselves yes so by that time we've also launched and brought Aveda to this country launched Mm. Tweezer Man 
L'Occitane. You know, I'd been I'd met Millie Kendall there as doing our PR and marketing. You know, so she, the business was three of us with our different skills. Bits came together, different avenues, and then, like you say about telly, I was an editorial artist, fashion. I wasn't doing telly at that time. I wasn't doing TV or film. You know, I was fashion makeup artist, doing shows and campaigns. Then gradually, an opportunity came for the clothes show, and. I suddenly realised, oh, I've got a knack. I can actually do it and talk live and make sense to people. Then it took on more. So then when it came to doing Ruby and Millie and the chance came for 10 years younger, I realised, oh, this is going to be a slot on Channel 4 on 8 o'clock on a Thursday yeah. night. I, mean, I wouldn't be able to time. buy. Yeah, yes, I wouldn't ever. be able to buy advertising of that elk. Imagine trying to tell that to Boots, who are the owner of the brand, and they're going, what are you doing this for? And I need it. And I'm like, I don't think you lot have the money. One of the things I'm most proud of at Holly & Co is the fact that over 90% of the small businesses that sell on our marketplace are female-founded. It means that every time you shop with us, you are voting with your money for the kind of world you want to live in. By supporting women-owned businesses, you're backing the idea of flexible working, showing the next generation what's possible, and actively championing the female economy. It means that despite only two pence of every pound's worth of funding in the UK going to women, and women still being the primary caregivers, we are rising above and finding a new way to live our way. You can support female-founded businesses by looking out for the badges on our marketplace. In fact, we have lots of ways to shop by your values, from choosing black-owned businesses or socially positive businesses to products that are made of recycled material or made here in the UK. Find out more at Holly & Co. For now, though, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. So... Tell me about this bit of the journey where you co-founded your brand Ruby and Millie in 1998. And I remember it so well. I had the face gloss. Everything oh. about the brand screamed fresh, cutting edge. The packaging was out of this world. The tones, the products. Tell me about just this part of creating it because it was the first makeup brand to embrace diversity, to offer different skin tones, you know, long before we started having that conversation. Well, that's a label that we associate now, inclusivity, diversity. That isn't something that was no. being bantered around then. Not at it all. It took us two years to produce the line, the whole line. It took us two years. From 1996, we were working on it and came out with this. It was a Boots' own brand. They'd never done this kind of a deal before because... We didn't own it. Everyone perceived that we owned it. We didn't own right, it. Right, okay. We were the formulators, the formulators, the packaging, the merchandising, the PR, the training of the staff. Everything is our blood, sweat and tears, but their money. Thank you very much. <laughs> so let's pause there because this has many, many entrepreneurs and small businesses listening. So you did basically everything that we talk about in this podcast all the time. So all the USP, all the creativity, the face of the brand, there wouldn't be anything without you having that clear packaging, which was so standout at that time. But it wasn't only clear. We had a lot of tooled, if you see the compact disc that we had, that was tooled and that was more like silver and weighted. Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? But was it because you couldn't raise funds at that time because entrepreneurialism wasn't as big a thing as it is today? Why did you go to Boots? It was just a simple thing. Boots used to come to us because we had Aveda at the time and they kept, mm -hmm. you know, my husband was the MD of our company AVD Cosmetics mm -hmm. so they would call him over can we have Aveda in boots and he's like no this is a luxury we sold it in Harvey Nichols and Selfridges yep. and then to professional salons and he's like no you're never getting this and then you're going to copy it and then put your bone boots on there no I'm yeah. not yeah but in that conversation would be it started about makeup artist brands and there were only a few there were like people like mac and nars and laura yes. mercier but they're all abroad yeah, nars they were. and laura mercier are french but have settled in america so all that 
business investing came from there. There mm. weren't anything here. So in those kind of conversations, it stirred and I'd been on telly enough that people knew who I was. Mm. And by that time, people don't know, but we were getting divorced. And in that mm. conversation, probably a trigger. George is an entrepreneur. George Hammer, my ex-husband, mm. was an entrepreneur. So it triggered in him, oh, this is a, we could do something here. And, and Millie's background was marketing and PR. Mm. And she calls herself the shop girl and then I'm the expert. I'm the expert that I do shoots and I do this and do that. Mm -hmm. And he's always been the one that puts the money into entrepreneurial things. So Mm -hmm. when somebody says, I launched it, I launched it, Millie launched it, George launched it. So that's how it's launched. And in that conversation, they would do surveys and, you know, they didn't like the name Ruby and Millie. They thought, mm. ooh, nobody's ever heard of you lot. They'd heard of me, but they didn't know who Millie was. But then when you see the packaging and when you did it and, mm. you know, when everything, when you lay out the, the plan and you see the spreadsheets and you realise we had 60 nail polishes, we had 65 lipsticks and eyeshadows and brushes and then they just wanted six foundations. And we were the face of the brand. You know, by that time, Mm. they know Mm. we are going to be the face of the brand because we couldn't afford. This is the era of supermodels. What am I going to get? Are we going to get Krista (laughs) Turlington and and Naomi Campbell to be the face of Ruby and Millie? There was talk like that, but there's no way. You'd have to have millions to have them. So you became the face. So we became the face of it. That was my idea. Which again is I said it to Millie for Millie's the marketing brain but I remember telling her and I just said look we know everybody we've got to be the look I'm this age I'm a bit older than you I'm dark haired dark skin dark eyed you are she was like a young Madonna you know yeah I said let's just do it then they it'll be harder for them to get rid of us (laughs) and she was like really and I was like yes I love that. And I think so many people will be laughing they don't, now. They don't. Because it's just as simple as that. It's as simple as that. But I, let me tell you, when I was talking to, I think it was Levi Roots from Reggae Reggae Source. And yes. he, we were laughing at how he picked the areas he was going to market to. And what he did is in his very small kitchen where his mum was actually making the sauce, (laughs) they had a map of the UK and they got darts and they just threw it at the map. And as long as it was in a wealthy area, that's where they were going to start. And actually people can't, you know, we do so much thinking about things these days. Actually, sometimes it's that gut instinct, that gut feel. It's just gut and simple. Okay. The Cambridge Satchel Company, another one, chose their name within five minutes. All of these things we've got to remember. We know these things. Can you imagine how many thousands of pounds they spent to survey it? Should it be Millie and Ruby? Look at this. All kinds of names came out, but Ruby and Millie with the Anversan as a logo. And then also, look at me and Millie. We are diverse, we are that. We weren't some marketing man's dream. It didn't concoct us. We yes. live. Our life was there. Yes. And we put everything in there and we thank them for their money. But I have to say, they disappointed us and they never saw the vision of what they had. Because today, if they'd continued and we had oh. never given notice, they'd be sitting on a two billion, billion pound. Billions. You know. But you yeah. know what? We learned a lot and I will always be grateful and thankful to them because they established this brand. But they can never take away that all the bits that we did, they did the support. This is a huge company. Yes, yes. Yeah, we had the backup. You know, we had the support that you have. Me and her would have never been able to do that. But we gave them everything to be able to do. Our job was just to get people over the threshold and they were the retailer and they were the backers of the fund. And everyone assumed it was us because it served our purpose. But we didn't yeah. own not one share in it. That's oh, unfortunate because if we did, it'd be different. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, absolutely. And it's one of those things that is sometimes hard to look back on, but we're going to come into your future now. But before I do that, I know that you stepped back from Ruby Million in 2008. And then in 2011, the brand was actually withdrawn from Boots after 13 years. Well, we gave notice on 2009, 10. And it's a long story. It's like everything where... Do you know what? It's a relationship. Boots had never done this kind of a deal with anyone and we didn't know that what you do. And, you know, like when we signed on, I was signing on for a global brand. Five years later, we were supposed to advertise. But every time you ask for them, they would say, oh, but, you know, you, you're only a £10 million brand. And we still didn't have one designated brand manager for a brand. Do you know any other business anywhere else in the world where you're making that kind of turnover and you haven't got one person dedicated to it it was all a turnstile of they put a hat on for number seven they do it for this they do it for that and then they come here they do that and they never really realize that when we saying things or doing whatever it's about about the brand not my mm. personal ego or millie's ego and we're human so there are in in this you get a lot of battles and maybe yeah their noses were a bit bent out of shape and the tone that was used to them but then they used to tone to us you know mm. like I've signed off on certain formulations or packaging and as a commercial decision you've completely changed the supplier and redid it and didn't think it courtesy to tell us hello yes. it's many many things and eventually it's like a long marriage it was a successful marriage while it was there it was a uni it was beyond its time but if it doesn't satisfy both parties, you have to call it a day. And you've seen, obviously, this huge shift within the beauty industry. The digital age has bought us, obviously, social totally, media. everything. It's bought influencers. It's bought different ways in which we can purchase beauty products. You know, we've gone through this miraculous stage where all of us didn't think we'd buy anything online. And now we basically don't buy anything not online. And I know you're the ambassador for the British Beauty Council. And I'm wondering... I suppose what your thoughts are in this change of industry, and then we're going to come on to your recent, your new business, but the evolving industry and looking forward, are you pleased at what you've seen within the industry? Does anything worry you? No, I mean, the power of social media when it has negative connotations or how it affects young people, you know, we're already worried about our mental well-being and how people, you know, with whether it was anorexia in our age, you know, oh my God, models are seeing these skinny girls on print and on the catwalk and then they're trying to be like that. So can you imagine that magnified hundredfold with what they see on TikTok on all aspects of social media, all of that. But can you ever give up all of that? No, because it's technology, it's an advancement of us as a species. But all I can say is, when we came onto the arena, this was a Boots own brand launched in Harvey Nichols and Selfridges. And then three months later, it was being sold next to Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent and Dior. And then it's the same brand with the same concept sold in a boot store. We were in there side by side. Had that ever happened before? No. no. Now we buy things because we still go to the store because of the experience of the luxury mm -hmm. or the treat or that. And I still shop in a boots, me personally mm -hmm. and everyone else like me. And we'll still buy something from Amazon or whoever else is accessible to. So did we ever think we were going to do that? No. It's evolution. Mm. It's going. So there's a downside and a plus side to everything in this life. And it's brilliant because people now, it's opened up. You can be a makeup artist, not just the way I was. You can have your own little Instagram yes. page and you show your work. You can have your own little website and you can be in a little area in, in the pocket of Wales and say, I do bridal makeup or this makeup in here. And you've establish yourself as a business it's a commercial creative talent who am I to say oh god can't, can't do this no it's fantastic but yeah. it brings with it all kinds of things doesn't it yeah absolutely and I'm I think one of the things is is that 
it moves faster than the speed of light at the moment. Whereas I think potentially for yourself and certainly when I, you know, you were before me and then myself, you know, if I think back to 2006, you know, things just were slower. You could get a grip on things a bit more than you can, I think, today. But this is life, though, isn't it, Holly? Absolutely. I agree. This industry is only one aspect and it reflects and it's part of life. So how mm. are you going to close off one part of it and just say, this is how we're going to monitor yes. this industry yes. or yeah. not? Everything is fast paced. Mm. My little two year old grandson can look like in the mornings when I do a little FaceTime and he goes and he knows before I say hello, he knows, oh, it's Nani, you know. Mm. Two-year-old when Rena was, I, I can't remember, it, nothing. We'd have to go mm. to the house and make the time to go yes, and show her yes, my face so yes, that she doesn't yes. forget. It's all of that, isn't it? Yeah, so everything has changed. Is, everything has changed. So you cannot compartmentalise and just slot it into this bit and not that bit. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a mirror society. Yeah. Throughout this series, I'll be handing this ad break over to our partners at Royal Mail Business, who are avid supporters of UK independence. As so many of you listening today are founders of brilliant small businesses, you'll know why it's so important to use a delivery service you can rely on to get your packages safely out to customers. But did you know Mintel's online retailing consumer report for 2023 revealed that a whopping 68% of shoppers would stop shopping with a retailer who uses a delivery service that they do not trust? 68%! Year on year, Royal Mail continues to be the most trusted delivery company among online shoppers. In fact, Two out of three online shoppers said that they would be more likely to use a retailer if Royal Mail is delivering. You can download a copy of the report and find out how Royal Mail can support your business by heading to the Small Business Hub on royalmail.com. Now, back to this week's Conversation of Inspiration. Tell me your life of Ruby and Millie. And I then read that one day you were lying on a beach and that creative urge started to come back and you knew <laughs> you were ready to build something again, Ruby Hammer Beauty. I talk about this. I'd love to know what age that was, because also many, if you look at statistics, for instance, you know, the largest group of those starting a business were over 50 last year. I wasn't 50. You weren't 50, but 50. later, women doing it again, having that second life. Second wind, yes. Second wind, not just one chapter. I always use this example, Tilly Divine. I asked them about their 20 years in jewellery making and they basically said, well, what makes you think that the next 10 years is going to be in jewellery? And I said, well, because you're jewellers. And they said, well, maybe we're going to be something else. And I just always, my mind was blown because I've obviously just started another marketplace and all I've done for 20 years is a small business. But just that idea that you can do it again within the same industry, indifferent. But it is, it is because, and the pandemic was very, very crucial to this because if you think of the timing, so I lost my mum 2012 and mm. around that time, Ruby and Millie stops, you know, so they're delisted. Yeah, yes. And everyone's asking me, what are you going to do next, Ruby? And Millie was already doing something with Anna Marie Solovich. She had something, a plan. And I was still a jobbing makeup artist. I've never stopped being a makeup artist in 40 years. But I don't do it as often. Be and it has reduced since the pandemic. So you've got to imagine I was in grief. I was 50 then. Oh, yes, I was over 50. You're right. Sorry. I thought so. Just I didn't want to correct you because it is your life. I was 50. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was thinking of when I launched Ruby and Millie. I wasn't. So I was 50 and my mum's passing, I was like orphan Annie at 50. So I'd lost both mm. my parents then. My dad died many years before and with her. And I was an only daughter and I simply adored my mum. Very big part of my chunk gone and then you think you're battling the physical hormonal effects of menopause it affects your confidence anxiety I didn't get panic attacks but I was anxious for the first time in my life like of the unknown and then mm. there's no mum to to boss you, you up and or yep, do, yep. You know, do any of that there's no one you know you have to be the one that's 
there for, and everyone's asking what are you going to do next what are you going to do next and I'm like I don't bloody know I don't know and I know all the different things we've done from Aveda down to there to to front of house back of house consulting for others to know I know how much reservoir you need if you're going to step into the arena again and I knew I haven't got it so mm. I'm not going to do anything I'm not stupid mm. I'm not going to do anything then 2017 probably I'm lying on that beach wherever it was and you get an itch you just get an itch but the world is a different place the industry is a different place by now where it's all about mm. social media I'm like what the hell is this so I've got to belong to something called Instagram oh okay <laughs> I never even did Facebook properly Millie used to do it for me so yeah. that was that I couldn't even send an email so what am I doing oh okay and then you look and then you see these huge brands big mm. brands now lot of noise lot of products and I'm like oh my god and Fenty had launched and if you didn't have 50 foundations and I knew what it cost and at that level and I'm not going to do any old rubbish thing and I thought oh my god how am I going to raise funds for having a line the way Ruby and Millie used to, because everyone assumes she's just going to do a carbon copy of that again. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm of a certain age now, but I am a professional, so things have to function a certain way. But also, look at these great other brands that are out there. Why would I want to make a load of noise in there? So I thought, let's use my skills, my experience, and pare it down and make it essential so that I can hold my own against professional colleagues and my friends mm -hmm. that I know. It's great for the woman that I am in my 50s that I haven't got time for 50 different yeah. procedures and steps. Yeah. <laughs> but also the consumer out there is so overwhelmed. How can we just simplify things for them? And that's how it came about. So I just did it, not in the way of saying, oh, there wasn't a foundation shade for me, so I created it. There were plenty of foundation shades for me out there by now. Yes. I just wanted a tool that would be able to use it quickly or here. So I just pared it down and I didn't have boots as my backup. It was my personal. Yeah. I'm self-funded. Amazing. Startup. So I knew I didn't have the luxury of that kind of get up. So you do it as what you can afford. My team is very small did what we can and here we um, are and then launched COVID. in September 2019 and COVID <laughs> comes and gives you a right kicking up the arse where <laughs> oh my god you know what we've soldiered through it's really 2022-23 that's your first year of trading actually wow. so when we're in the beginning of 2024 now it's yes. only one year really you shouldn't compare it with everything because in those pandemic years they're not normal trading years that moment in time was such a a fluke moment in time that we all behaved differently and I think now we've gone back to how we behaved before we've gone back but underlined after the pandemic is we as the UK had just come out of the EEC so we've had Brexit that heavily it affects commercial decisions yeah. and investment and all of that you had the Ukraine war that helped blocks all the supply chain. Mm. We're going to get that again if we don't resolve this thing, what's going on in the Yemen and all that, because yeah. it's going to affect, it affected me. I'm small. I had to wait weeks and months to get stuff done from China because of their pandemic lockdown closure. And we're yeah. only tiny. So giants like an Estee Lauder, like a this, were brought to their knees mm. by the pandemic with mm. supply chain issues and all kinds of other things, not being able to go to work. Every aspect got affected. So can you imagine yeah. that magnified when you're a small startup, yeah. self-invested company? Yeah. And we're going to have a little bit of that again if this kind of thing doesn't get resolved because it blocks the supply chain to the Western world, whatever that is. I can only pray for no loss of life and everybody else's thing because I can't I think then we might have to I don't know I don't want to even go into that dark 
corner. Well, you don't go into that because I think it's you have to do what you need to do yes. to keep yourself going. And then there's these external, which I feel like brands have had to deal with more than ever before, external forces and influences that have just been one after the other punching, you know, businesses and brands are trying to rise from the ashes, really, from COVID. No one can really deal with any more. No. You know, that was enough to take the wind out of so many sales. And it did. Plenty yeah. fell by the wayside and people are still crawling up. I mean, the uphill nature of that struggle, we're still not fully out, out of it yet. Mm. But, you know. Mm. Absolutely. Tell me your journey now where you are today. Let's almost take the external influences to the side if we can. But for you as a human being that you are now sort of three decades in, you are doing something that you love that is from your childhood bedroom. And still today as a 60 year old woman, you are still doing it. How do you feel in your soul? Do you feel centred that this is where you belong? I do because I have never worked full time for anybody I've always been freelance Mm. I've never had a job that that person pays my salary or how many days leave have I got I've always been freelance so that obviously I've got enough self-knowledge to know that way of working that way of being suits me I Mm. will work flat out when it's needed because I'm a professional whatever else I am I am a pro I think I'm a pretty decent human being in that when I give my word to somebody, whether that's a brand or a person or a job or contract or seen or unsigned, I have that honour in myself that I will give it my best shot. I've never been one that, oh yeah, I just walk away when it's easy and drop everybody and throw them under the bus. I don't. So I feel pretty good. Do you know what? Nothing in this life, no one is shielded from what life can throw at you and it can change in a moment so whether that's your mm-hmm. health whether that's loss whether that's uh, emotional romantic heartbreak you know I've been married and divorced remarried and now it's coming up to be almost longer than I was ever married not perfect but the more I am my health touch wood is okay I've had issues because in our family there's no diabetes but we've got heart disease and I had to have a stent put in and I have no outward Mm. symptoms nothing slim as I am but still so you know anything Mm. can come at you from wherever and what I've learned now is how you deal with them is a measure of who and what you are yes so you can never make yourself immune it doesn't exist it doesn't exist for what color you are what age you are what sex you are what nationality you are how rich you are how influential you are everybody everybody is vulnerable so we have to have the grace to be grateful for what you've got and think a little bit of what (laughs) sorry i got a bit emotional there there's plenty of people out there that don't have what Mm. we have have the grace to realize how much you have and do what you can to help those that don't when you can and ruby when you think about i know that your mum, i think was 65 when she passed away 67 so 67 and you're 62 and i know that that must motivate you to live in the way that you are showing today in the way that you've explained what your values are but i think it focuses the mind doesn't it yes. that we don't have tomorrow necessarily guaranteed yeah i'm not in raw grief because i've adjusted it's 12 years down and i'm blessed to have had them as parents and i miss them i still miss them look it got me like that but and i i'm not woe is me doom and gloom and oh my god I've only got five years and then what no you can't do that with one's life either you have you cannot do that that is a injustice to the legacy they left us we should celebrate Mm. their lives and we should live your own and celebrate your own while you're still here and breathing and hope that you've left something worthwhile for the next generation for your near you know people like for people you don't know, but do the best we can. We've only got a small Mm. time on this planet. We think we've got everything. We take everything for granted. I have to tell myself that lesson. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm saying it here. It doesn't mean, yeah. oh, I know it all. I don't. I think it just reminds us. I'm sure everyone listening is is taking a deep breath right now because we, as women, have very fast lives and we try and live in gratitude. I do believe that that is now something that we do. Lots of people try and do, but we get carried away. And I think this conversation, Ruby, has been a beautiful one where we remind ourselves. And I think you've been so eloquent. I want to ask you if I can, at the end of this podcast, a few yes. things happen. But one of the things is I liken our journey to a roller coaster. And, <laughs> you know, I just, I feel, oh, Makes me emotional when I ever <laughs> talk to my guests. And because you've been so beautiful in describing you in the trees, and now I look at you as a lady, it makes me <laughs> emotional because I do think that this story has been so beautiful. And I think we get to picture these lives and it's just a, a real, a real privilege. But on that roller coaster, what would you say has been your biggest low? So the first, first low that gave me a kicking to the very core of me was when I was going through the divorce the, mm -hmm. because it's such a sense of failure and I thought god I couldn't make it work as a family as a unit what is my shortcoming is it this is it that and and that, so that was definitely one because it affected me physically emotionally mentally all of that it, get, it was an all-time low then when you come out of it and you do because you don't give up life I didn't commit suicide although I felt like doing it many times but I didn't mm. I had my parents still alive you have love support for my friends my family my colleagues my industry strangers there's so much love and good things out there if you're able to open yourself to that then the next low is when you realize oh my god is then when I lost I lost my dad but when I lost my mum and then you think, oh, my God, that wasn't such a low. I've coped with that one. Now this is a low. And you know what? They're probably the two big lowest ones. Mm, but I'm I've sure. soldiered through, though, haven't I? So you have. then you are on the up. And what would you say, what would be your greatest high as you soldiered through when the wind's in your hair and you've got your perfect makeup on and you're, you're breathing deeply? What would you say your greatest high is? When I'm able to see love in my husband's eyes. For me, not for anybody else, I, I just, that he loves me that much. And I'm not being arrogant or vain, but I can feel it. When I see my daughter and my grandson, there's like, it's pure joy, you know, joy, joy, joy. You're going to get me, you're going to kill me off. <laughs> and then not crying but pride in my product when I see it now and mm. people say something about it and I think god mm. I did it 25 years ago and I look at it again and I think whether people like it or not but I'm grateful that they do this mm. is a good product it might not be it might not be sold online as much as billions of it because I'm not a Kardashian yeah. I don't have that sort of name and that yeah. sort of influence but this is a shit hot product that I have created. Yeah. I'm proud of it. Yeah. Gosh, beautiful. I had to pride in it when it was Ruby and Millie, but I had a partner. I had a business commercial partner. But mm. now this is down to me. Well done. I can't well share done. that with anybody other than my team member. Everyone's applauding you. Oh. When they're listening, you can hear the roar right now. <laughs> and it's deafening if they were all that. doing it. And Ruby, tell me, in this world, and when I go to Mowgli, is that right in saying yes to little Mowgli? I would love you if you would. Would you be able to read her a letter from yourself? Yes, I've written it out. Oh. I'm sorry. It's the first time in my life I've gotten this emotional when I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Can't believe it. You've given me the opportunity to hear my story. So thank you, Holly. Thank you. No, thank you. I'm going to now hand over to you, if that would be okay. And okay. I don't know what you're going to say, but thank you in advance for sharing a little bit of your soul. Bless you, Holly. Dear Ruby... You won't be known as Mowgli forever. How ironic that the things about appearance that seemed negative growing up will become the things people celebrate about you. Your very dark skin, 
read thinness and being so much of a tomboy with so much energy that everybody said you'd never find love or be feminine, especially with the Asian cultural overtones. Let's address self-worth. You'd have thought that with all the negative comments about being so dark, thin, not being attractive or looking girly, it would affect your self-worth. But I have to say, you will have a very strong pit in your stomach of self-worth, self-respect and self-esteem. That doesn't mean life will not throw some horrible things at you, but you will have a sense and a reservoir mentally and physically. You are blessed with having had such amazing parents that make you grateful for everything that you have and their unconditional love will keep you buoyant even after you lose them. At times, I would still love to have them, but that reservoir is still intact and everyone, including you, has to cultivate that for yourself just to address life. Once you have made peace with the acceptance of your appearance, just who you are and how you are, boosted by your self-worth, you will be able to tackle anything. The beauty industry, with all its different ramifications, the commercial aspects, the creative part, the artistic, the dealing with people, especially in teams, you need to keep pushing the boundaries, but keep being you you will realise you've got to pass on the baton. My way of doing that is simply by living by example, speaking by example, showing by example, and it is only now I realise when I come into contact with people what I have done over 40 years that seems to have resonated with them. And it does touch me and make me feel good about myself Hence, it's bolstering that self-worth yet again. If that has been of use to somebody, then we're all tasked with passing on that baton. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I'm so, we haven't met before, but I can't tell you how deeply proud I am of you because the courage to do it again and the journey that you've had and to find yourself in a position at 62 being able to really pass on wisdom to us all about this journey has really, truly moved me. And thank you for doing that. Thank and you, I just think it is a real indication to everybody listening that it's never too late to be the fullest version of yourselves. And that Ruby is a living example, a glorious Aww. living example of someone who we can hold up to say that she had the courage and the belief in herself, whatever age, to just go for it. What she was a little girl looking at a poster. And it just, it kills me off to think of that because I think <laughs> one of the things is that I think in life is so beautiful is when we can live our life, create a career in our passion. And I do genuinely, and anyone listening knows this, I wish this for everybody that you get to do that in life. I think there's not a greater gift. It's a blessing, Holly, because a lot of us go through all of life. You do it because you're earning money, you have responsibilities, whatever. It's a blessing to do what I love and I get paid for it and I made a livelihood out of it. Yeah. And I've been able to reach and touch and I will leave a legacy from that love that will, yeah. you know, when they look back, they'll see that line and chain. And I'm really eternally grateful for that. And thank you for people like yourselves to be able to share that small part yeah. with somebody. Yeah. And I'm extending out to you that we've met this way. Please, if you've got something in your diary when I come back from holiday, it'd be lovely to sit down and go that. to dinner. If you're in, oh, in, the, if you're in London, that. let's meet in the flesh. It would be, I, I would, would love, love that, that Holly. Bless you, Ruby, for your time today on Conversations of Inspiration. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask that you share it with a friend and like, subscribe and review it too, so that together we can inspire even more people to follow their dreams, to build a life they love. Mm -hmm.